swimming without it. Her days go on. I remember you, my friend. And though you're gone, in my heart's been emptied, it seems. I'll see you in my dreams. I got the old guitar here by the bed. All your favorite rings and all the books that you read. Hello, everyone. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. And today, we're especially about the fans. Uh, joining me tonight is my good friend, uh, frequent guest, uh, Dan French. How you doing, Dan? I'm great. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks again for having me on. Oh, I always love visiting with you. And uh, I believe we plan, you have some stories to share about a very special member of the Springsteen fan, uh, fandom family. But before that, I wanted to ask, you know, in we're all kind of struggling through the pandemic. How are things there with you and yours? Well, thank you. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm doing as well as can be expected, I think, is safe to say. I'm lucky in as much as I only have myself to look after. I, it was good timing for me. I finished work um, unintentionally last year, so um, again, without realizing that was uh, that was actually quite fortunate timing for me, so that I haven't got to worry about that side of things. I'm effectively early retired, but um, yeah, my life is very very simple for a guy that used to love uh, traveling whenever I could. It's uh, uh, not much of that, but um, I'm 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 keeping healthy, so that's the main thing, and I feel feel lucky. Well, that is great news, and I appreciate it. And so, um, so for those of you who don't know, why don't you share a little? I, I'm sure. Most Hi, Jesse. Have listen. we lost each other? Yeah, there we go. So I, I'm sure most people know you, but just in case, uh, for those of you, this might be their first uh, episode. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Okay, well, I um, live uh, in north of London in um, in England, and I've been a, a Springsteen fan since really kind of like the mid, mid to late 70s. Um, uh, the sort of turning point for me was it was the, the Darkness era, although over here we didn't get to see him until the River Tour in 1981, so that was a big a big time for me. And I started doing um, uh, a fanzine because I didn't know any other fans. I thought this would be a, a, a way to try and, and get to meet people. So I did uh, my own Bruce fanzine called Point Blank, which is uh, is now marking uh, 40 years, although I haven't actually published anything so for many years, but um, I'm still counting the years. So uh, 40 years on, and um, I feel very lucky because most of the friends I have now I've met um, thanks to Bruce, like yourself. Yeah, one of the things that I find a, a big blessing about doing the podcast is the amount of people I have met, um, you know, you want to say around the country, but the reality is around the world that um, I feel a connection and a friendship to either because we interact through social media 
or we've we've been on the podcast, we've shared stories, and so um, I think that's really beautiful, and I do think it's one of the reasons how or why Bruce's his music and his fandom is um, I won't say unique, but it is one of the few where you have that passion of a fan base. That's right. It's a really special community. Uh, as you said, there may be others uh, for other other artists that um, have um, strong and loyal support, I'm sure. But um, um, for me, the last sort of 40 years or so, it's been um, it's been all about the, the, the Bruce community, and um, I feel very lucky to be part of that. I have to before we get to our main topic. Any quick thoughts you want to share on letter to you? I love it. Uh, in a, in a, a, just a, a few words, it's. Um, I think it's so refreshing. It's. I'm so grateful that they decided to put it out, rather than leave it and wait. You know, for a time when um, things might might be more back to normal. But uh, because I think we you know we all needed this really um, uh, as uh, as fans, and it's it's been yeah just the the perfect thing at the perfect time is how I feel. You know, I, I feel the same way, um, and my, um, you know, Linda is a casual fan, and she watched the Apple documentary with me and talked about how much she enjoyed the documentary and how much she enjoyed the songs, and then just this past weekend, we drove to uh, Louisiana to visit my mother, and it's about a f- six-hour drive, um, so... Um, Along with other things, we we listened to Letter to You um, there uh, a couple of times, and she talked about how much she liked the album and and how some of the songs she thought were especially really beautiful. Um, so yeah, I I think it's it is I've joked that um, a new Springsteen album in October, a new Prison in November a new Doctor Who episode in December and maybe <laughs> 2020 is not the worst year ever. <laughs> but, uh, so we've gotten two out of the three so far. So here we go. Um, so, um, last week, I guess it started breaking over the internet that, um, a pretty special fan, uh, passed away. So do you want to share a little bit about Holly's story? Sure. Yes. Well, this is um, uh, this is my old friend Holly Cara Price, who was probably um, I think almost certainly the the first American Bruce fan that I made contact with, and that was 40 years ago, um, because uh, she'd heard about uh, the fanzine I was doing at the time. I just started it, so it was early days, just the first issue, and that contained. Um, a, uh, a 1980 concert review by her, which somebody had pointed her to. And I quickly realized from her first message that you know, she was a, a fellow diehard fan. She'd started seeing Bruce uh, in 1978. And at that point, so late 1980, uh, she'd already been to um, something like, you know, 20 shows on, on, the, on the River Tour, the, most, most of the first leg of the tour, um, just driving around with friends. And uh, which was just sort of blew my mind. I didn't know anybody like that at that time. And she immediately offered um, to give any help she could to to, um, to the fanzine, mm. which was what was wonderful. 
And that's really kind of like a, a trend that I kind of feel has sort of just gone through our our friendships and things that continued all the time. She was always trying to help other people, uh, even when she got uh, you know really sick later in life, you know, the, most of the last 10 years, sadly. So um, talking about community, it's really very much also thanks to her that I, I met so many other, um, particularly uh, in the US, uh, fans who are now my friends and have been for decades. So, you know, she introduced me to all kinds of people. There was, um, um, I met through her, I met uh, Obi Zizik, you know, who was the sort of the famous, virtually the first fan from way back, um, uh, who I'd heard about, but I'd, I'd never met. Uh, she passed on a copy of my fanzine to her, and apparently she she liked that too. She introduced me to John Eddy um, on the shore uh, some years ago and said, this is Dan from England. So, and then John immediately christened me England Dan, as in England Dan and John Ford Coley, for those who, who remember. Yes, I was going to say, I, I do catch that <laughs> reference. You get it, that's it. Um, and she took me to meet um, uh, Butch Pielka, who was the co-founder of The Bottom Line in New York, and, and the list goes on and on. So we didn't actually meet uh, in person until 1982, um, when I took my first sort of grown-up trip to uh, um, to the, the U.S., and I went with a friend, and we spent three weeks in New York and New Jersey. And Holly, of course, was uh, had been living in the area and uh, having been... She's originally, I think, from the Philadelphia area, a couple of years older than me. She proved the she was like the ideal guide to exploring the Jersey Shore, especially, which you know, for for us us Brits was it was a pilgrimage uh, long before there was any kind of organised trips or anything like that. And the real highlight of those three weeks was that thanks to her, we were able to catch um, an unexpected um, guest appearance by Bruce with Cats on a Smooth Surface playing at the Stone Pony. And this was on the um, 3rd of October. Uh, And it was the finale of a whole bunch of shows he was doing, what they called it the club hopping tour that year, especially throughout the summer. And um, Holly herself was, I remember she was convinced that Bruce was on the West Coast, that he wasn't even around. And she was sorry for us. She said, oh, I'm so sad for you guys. You know, Bruce isn't here. Um, But we said, hey, well, you know, it's 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 the weekend. It's the Stone Pony. This is the band that Bruce has been playing with. Let's just enjoy ourselves. And um, and he, Bruce just showed up and played for an hour. Uh, it cost like two bucks to get in, so incredible value. <laughs> and that was um, that's so funny. Really, really, it was like a sort of sense that you know, we we realized that she had a kind of magic touch. And, you know, she spent many, many um, weekends just traveling down from the city to uh, to the shore in the hope of seeing Bruce. And that was another time she struck lucky. Do I'm sure she shared the story. How did she become a fan? I think she was um, she kind of like missed chances a little bit early on. I mean, for example, I believe she um, was with a friend um actually um, doing a little work around the time that Bruce was playing. The Tower Theatre in Philadelphia in 1975, around New Year's time. A couple of famous shows there. Um, but I think she skipped the chance to, to check out the show itself. So that was kind of like something she probably kicked herself for, you know, for a while. But it was, um, I think she was just persuaded to go by a friend 
in the summer of 78 uh, to see one of the darkness shows and she's written about it and there's a there's a link i can give you which is uh would do much more justice uh, to, to her her talent than me um which is a real moment of conversion you know um and so she never looked back from from then so but as i say by the time i caught up with her she'd already seen about 20 shows the and and i think it's just a lovely you know tribute that you know here is this you know across the ocean you know she hears about the fanzine and just you know in whatever i can do to help whatever i can do to to help spread the the magic of bruce's music right like i i want as many people and what i love about this dan is there is a select group of fans when a artist is just starting out that they are selfish well i don't right. want the world to know about them because <laughs> yeah. then 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 it's no longer special whether it's you know if it's a, it's an artist or a band right like i want them to, you know i want them to be you know kind of this un the secret i have that i you know versus mm. You know, she was like, "No, I want everyone in the world to know about this guy and the music he's giving." That's very true. I mean, I'm sure there was probably a part of her that obviously really savored those moments when it was, you know, sort of small and intimate and um, and, and special and uh, on that level. But yeah, that, that certainly never stopped her. I mean, the number of people I must have said sort of sent over to meet her. Um, I said, if you're going to New York or New Jersey, you must must meet up with Holly and she. I was going back through some correspondence we had, and it was all about, oh yes, you know, I, I know, don't don't forget to, you know, introduce your such and such a friend to me, and it worked both ways. She sent friends over to um, to Europe, and they would they would visit me, and so it was a, a constant two way thing. Like you say, she would just em embrace anybody that she recognised was um was was a real fan, and uh, it's strange because. On the one hand, I think of her as sort of really quite a sort of charismatic person, but at the same time, she was also really shy, particularly about Bruce himself, because she she put herself in uh, as often as she could in the situation where she'd get as close as possible to Bruce, but never that close. So, you know, for example, her, her ideal um, sort of uh, situation would be to be about 20 yards away from Bruce, where she could see him, but just have a, just enough distance so that it was... Um, um, there, was, there was a gap, um, and so she made great efforts to see him so often, but never get that quite that close. But she had a friend with her who went to you know, most of the same shows, who was much less reserved and got, went to even more shows, I believe. And she was uh, in, a, in a position where Bruce would, would get to know her really well. They could just chat. This other friend and Bruce would sort of just chat like normal people about sort of just regular everyday stuff. Uh, not starstruck at all. One day, his curiosity prompted him to ask, "Who's your friend who never comes up to talk?" And the other friend, the friend said, "Oh, well, that's that's Holly." And then the, the conversation just continued. So the next time Holly sees Bruce, this is probably in a um, around a club show in the 80s on the shore. He spot, spotted her. He came up right to her, gives her a pinch on the arm in a friendly way, and says, "Hey, Holly, how are you doing?" And then <laughs> yeah, oh I get, my I get goodness. Uh, you can, can you imagine? I got a stunned account of this encounter 
by post. Obviously, back in the days when we were just writing letters to each other, sure. like a week later. And Harley wrote down, and I never forget, she said, he knows my name. I'm a changed woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that did change her life. You know, That was the beginning of, of the, the rest of her life. She, um, I just love the idea, right, that um, she, you know, she didn't want to be forward. She didn't want to be, um, and to share that story, right, that mm-hmm. that he had noticed her, which first yeah. off I think is amazing, and then the idea to actually say, hey, why didn't she ever, and then go talk to her, <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Did she then, when she would be where she could see him, would she always, would she be more prone to speak up, or she remained kind of reserved? I think a little bit of that reserve always remained there. I mean, and, and the, the stories I'm telling you, you'll, you'll hear that, you know, obviously she got uh, the, the opportunity to, to be much closer to Bruce in many ways. Sure. There's, and there's a lovely photo of them together taken much later in life in the, um, during the Rising tour, um, jumping forward slightly, when, when she was actually working for, for Thrill Hell. And so they're together on the private plane the band are flying around in and um, Bruce has sort of like put a um, a blanket around her shoulders and they're just sort of looking like um, just a couple of friends but she's also at the same time you can see she's got that absolute fan look at the same time so even though she'd already been working for the for the um, um, for the band for some time she never lost that, that the fan quality um, never got blasé or or jaded you know and but it's interesting because her relationship with uh, Stephen, which I'll come to, um, sure. was very very different. He seemed to be. He tweeted, and he seemed to be, honestly, very saddened and marine too, you know, on Twitter. And um, so, I guess, talk to me a little bit, maybe the transition of becoming a fan to actually in a small way, becoming part of that world. Yes. Well, that um, sort of uh, came in in such a natural way because much like me, she started uh, her own fanzine in the, uh, in the mid eighties, I believe it was for, um, and I think at the time, one of the first fanzines for, for little Stephen. Um, so her, her focus kind of switched and she, I think, I'm not sure exactly when that would have started, but she—I think she got very um, engrossed in the fact that you know when Steve went went solo, as it were, he um, he was carving out this new career for himself, and that really got her attention. So it's no wonder that you know she called her fanzine "Voice of America" after the ah, um, interesting, you know, which you may you may possibly have heard of. Yeah. Um, I think it ran for about a dozen issues, mostly in the um, um, late '80s, early '90s. Uh, again, just a you know homegrown fanzine like mine. But the great thing about it was that, which obviously probably wouldn't have happened um, if she'd done a Bruce fanzine, was that in the process of doing that, because Steve's world was just sort of starting up in the sense that he was just you know forging his own career, um, and he was very accessible. So in the process, she made contact with with Steve. Maybe I don't know exactly how it happened. He must have seen you know a copy and. Um, um, they sort of uh, got introduced to each other and so forth. And eventually, at some point, by, by about the late 90s, um, 
they've been obviously very very familiar with each other and because of the work she was doing he as i understand it invited her to design his first website um which must have been an amazing uh, offer at the time so this is the, the point at which she starts working for for east street directly and that in turn led to an even more amazing invitation which was to go on the road uh, as assistant to Stephen when when Bruce announced that the um, the reunion tour was starting mm. and that was a role she held for many years and it was, must have been very hard work because as, as many people know Steve is uh, not the kind of guy to sit around he, he, he is a real workaholic so very difficult to work for um, in many ways are very challenging but it made it basically meant, meant that she very quickly became a firm part of the the wider East Street family. Uh, she worked at different times for first Stevie and then later on Susie, um, both on and off tours. Um, and the, one of the the lovely moments that most people might remember, without maybe they didn't realize, is on the um, when Bruce did the Live in New York City album and DVD. Mm-hmm. And he's doing 10th Avenue freeze out and he just pauses like he sort of does a double take looking at uh, the front row and he calls out and he says, Miss Holly. And that that's our Holly uh, captured oh, for posterity. I will need to check that out. So I, I have to just insert just for a moment um, and bear with me. It feels like I'm going to go away, but I will stick the landing. Hopefully um, okay. there was a when. Star Trek was going when Star Trek was going to come back and they were going to do the motion picture and Star Trek had been off the air for years and Gene Roddenberry had finally gotten the okay to do a major movie mm-hmm. and because of how much Star Trek fandom had meant something um, he and a lot of the other creative people wanted to include fans and there is a scene in the motion picture where you're at the hangar deck and there it is supposed to be the full crew of the enterprise and that is made up of fans of actually oh, wonderful <laughs> and so when they reached out to a couple people saying um this is what we want to do mm-hmm. and the thought would be um it'd be five hundred dollars and the fan goes well that's kind of high, but yeah, I think I could get enough people to pay that to be in there. And they're sure. like, no, 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 no. We can only pay you five hundred dollars to be an extra. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. <laughs> so I can imagine just throw a figure. Um, yeah. Two fifty a week, and I could see Holly going. It might be tough, but yes, I could come up with two fifty a week to be on the plane and work. No, 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 Holly, I, we're going to pay you to do this. So yes, oh, yeah, I, I would have so loved to be with her the moment that she she got like the job offer, you know. Yes. And uh, uh, to get her reaction, uh, there must have been a letter or something at the time, but uh, and obviously we were thrilled for everyone. By that point, we she had so many friends and mutual friends of mine and we were just absolutely delighted for that kind of like one of ours you know was 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 kind of finally on board with the band and um, and and it couldn't have been more perfect you know and uh, what's really nice of, of course is not just that dedication but she gets a credit on the um both the live in new york city um album and in the dvd 
uh, in the credits um, because she was officially Steve's assistant at the, at the time. So um, she was immortalized awesome. in, on, on those. Yeah. I, I have shared um, this story multiple times, but um, we're in the movie theater watching Western stars and mm-hmm. my wife, Linda reaches over and says, you're just so jealous of all those people in the audience, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm so jealous. Oh, and yes. then at the end of the film, you see they get they're listed in the credits. And That's I'm like, right. not only were they there, they got in the credits. <laughs> they got in the credits, Linda. So, yes. yes, I can imagine poor Miss Holly was just like, oh, I can't believe this is listed. Yeah, and there's a lovely shot which um... – uh, I think Tom Zimley was was filming at the time and captured, which is shot behind the band at the moment when he's doing the dedication, because it's not just uh, that she has a shout out, but she, when you watch it, you'll see Bruce basically gets to the front line of the band to walk over in front of her. Uh, so there's like Bruce and, and Clarence and Steve and Paddy, and they all do like a, a sort of special hip thrust for her. And you see her just absolutely cracking up in the front row, like she can't believe that you know, it was quite enough to have have the shout out, but then they just kind of pay her a tribute uh, like that as well. Oh, that's lovely. So that's so it's, lovely. It's definitely worth going back to see that again. But if I can um, continue to um, please, please uh, to to give you another uh, another uh, memory, which is that um, as I say, this didn't just happen in the states. In in early two thousand, I think it was, um, between uh, the legs of the. the the same tour, the reunion tour. Holly came over um, with Steve to uh, to London for a business trip. Steve was doing all kinds of things already at that point, um, so this was on a break. And as I, I was saying, you know, she was so busy, just just there was just her, basically her and Steve, and that was it. Um, so being sort of run off her feet, she got in touch with me and um, my good friend Mike here in London, uh, and said, please, 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 could could we both go and come over for a day and help with some errands because she didn't have time to do everything herself. So the two of us had a really fantastic day. It was for us because it was obviously just the novelty. I mean, she was just running around like a headless chicken. Um, We went shopping for her on behalf of Stevie. And we had to buy things like uh, umbrellas, obviously because of the English weather, uh, phone batteries back in the day when, you know, that was the the technology um the the phones they had that they brought from the states you know weren't working properly in in england um we had to get a particular brand of shampoo which was a, a special gift for maureen and we also had to buy a, a dave clark five like a greatest hits cd which is i'd like to think is probably now part of the underground garage music collection which is I, just starting up around that time i would I would count on that as well. That would be my belief too. That yes, yeah. right. So it was lovely that she, without sort of obviously just doing it for our benefit. I mean, you know, it was obviously it was for her benefit. But in the process, she kind of shared a little bit of that experience. So you know, Mike and I got to say, hey, we went shopping for Stevie, which is fun. You know, um, not something you get to do every day. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's <laughs> that was, awesome. That, that, that was a fun memory. And then. Um, the, but sadly, the, the last time she was able to come over, she, she came over to Europe many times with the band. But the last time, which I remember very well, um, when she was 
all I kept saying earlier, just she was able to really express her generosity. That was on on the Wrecking Ball tour, so mm-hmm. July 2013, the very end of the, um, the European tour. Um, and at this point, she was she moved on working from for, for Stevie. She was working for Susie, um, in a similar capacity, but probably not quite so exhausting. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can imagine. I think Susie was a bit more laid back. Um, um, so she joined the band's crew for the final part of that European leg. There were concerts in places like Leeds and Ireland, which she loved because it gave her a chance to actually have a, like a little a vacation as well. Um, but most days uh, during you know that sort of week or week and a half, whatever it was, she would text me and message me, and always asking for contact deals, the contact details of uh, any friends of mine who needed help who were struggling to get tickets. Um, so every day she would be saying to me, who can I help today? And I thought, well, wasn't, isn't that a, a great motto to uh, to live by if you're in that position to, to oh, help people? Oh, what a lovely story. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, she's, she's helped me many times. I mean, uh, for myself, going back to 1988, um, uh, there was a story, uh, there's a brief story for just to zip back in time. The very end of the, um, uh, of the tunnel, um, tour uh, in America in the spring of '88. It was it was so it was the end of May. Um, I just coincidentally come into uh, some money which was just enough for an, an airfare to New York from London. So I thought, well, I should just go to New York. You know, I, I don't have any tickets, but um, hey, Bruce is playing at Madison Square Garden. Um, what have I got to lose? <laughs> Talk about being wild and innocent. I really had no yes, idea. Yes, that is. That's great. Uh, and I thought, well, it'll be an adventure, you know, um, just a wing and a prayer. So the penultimate night um, of the, I think it was like five nights, I joined the, the drop line, hoping against hope, a long drop line, um, obviously hundreds of people trying to get tickets. Um, but then eight o'clock came, no result. And for the first time after many shows, I resigned myself to actually missing the show. Um, which was kind of a weird feeling, but then I was—I I felt grateful because I, it would have been more frustrating if I could have actually heard the concert starting from outside the arena. You know, I thought, well, at least you know, um, I've made friends with um, some other other folks in the line, and we thought, let's just go off and have a drink and have dinner and make the best of it. But then I found out later, um, Holly told me uh, she'd been inside that night, but she had come out again with a spare ticket for me, and we missed each other. Oh, no. Because of, of of course in those days no mobile phones no right. way of making making contact you know just um, you just have to make plans um, and as if that that wasn't extraordinary enough of her um, I, there was one more show the final night the next night and so I thought well I've got to try my luck again what have I got to lose grit my teeth and go for it um, and again it was getting up to eight o'clock and I thought. Oh, my luck's run out again. This is the final night. It's just, you know, the demand is just ridiculous. And then I can only say, call it, this is my first ticket angel experience. Holly came rushing up to me and she pressed the ticket into my hand and she just said, run. And then after a couple of seconds of disbelief and shock, I ran. And I remember I made it to my seat in the arena just as the lights were going down. Oh. And the show was starting. Uh, it was just the absolute perfect timing. Talk about, I know it's late, but we can make it if we run. Yeah, you know what I find lovely about that is, um, and for those of you who have not 
um, Dan has been on multiple times, and the very first time he was on, he shares the story of how he almost met Clarence with his friend. (laughs) Um, That has a happy ending similar to this one, but, uh, you know. That's right. (laughs) Right? That was talking about you just had missed. So uh, you seem to have a a history of that, my friend. Uh, Yes, I've certainly missed a couple of things, but uh, I have to say that overall I think my luck has has outweighed the the near-misses, so I, I really can't complain. And then um, uh, the last time I saw Holly in person was was back in in New York. Uh, this was in um, uh, I can remember the date, 18th of January, uh, 2018, um, uh, which was appropriate because it was like it's her, that's her hometown. And of course, I was there to see uh, to see Bruce doing one of the Springsteen on Broadway appearances. Um, so together with a big group of fellow fans from all over the world, and this kind of summarized, you know, Holly's network, if you like, that there was uh, an international group. We had at um, this place called John's Pizzeria, which she chose for us. She arranged it all. And then we actually went our separate ways pre-show because she, by this point, she had already seen the performance a few times because with her connections, she'd been able to help other, 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 other fans and friends and, this was kind of my last memory of her, that she was still working and helping others with tickets, uh, even though by this point she was really ill with the cancer. And um, uh, so, yeah, we just went our separate ways. And then I went to see Bruce. And you know, so that was an, an extraordinary day. Do um, how long had she been fighting cancer? By that point, it was, I think, about about seven years, oh. maybe eight years. Long time. Yeah, she. She really was a warrior. Um, we often re- sort of talk about her as being, you know, really feisty and one of the most sort of strong-willed and, and energetic, energetic people I've ever met. She had a little, um, uh, a little kind of um, symbol for this, which is uh, she called Valkyrie Nun, which is uh, just sort of so typical of her humor. So it's like a little, uh, a little sort of uh, like a little toy that looks 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 like a nun but who's yeah. also dressed up to fight like a valkyrie oh, nice. i don't know where don't know where the thing came from but this was you'll, you'll see that if you look at her facebook page and uh, it became the sort of um yeah the sort of uh, the sort of hallmark of her, her fight uh, in in those last years uh, just to represent her you know the determination really um for those of you who may not know what type of cancer uh was she fighting uh, it was uh, it was breast cancer, and it was I believe it was um, uh, phase four. I'm not too sure of the term- terminology, but it was it was yeah. pretty bad, and it obviously it progressed to other other mm. um, other parts, um, which is brings us on to this year actually just earlier this this month when um, local friends of hers in in, in New York. Despite her, just her, she was in touch more or less as normal right up to sort of mid to late October, and then suddenly we were getting messages from others, um, uh, as I say, early November that she was declining really rapidly. Um, I think it, it had spread to her, to her brain, um, and it really wasn't sure if she would live to learn the result of the election. Um, and she'd been a staunch, staunch Democrat uh, forever. Um, so she was obviously hoping for the, the Biden-Harris win, and um, then extraordinarily on the, yeah on the seventh of November, 
um, within a few hours of hearing about the Democrat win, uh, we got the news just a, a very short time later that she slipped away um, that day. She it was almost certainly as if she she had hung on to find out the news, and we know that she was able to hear the celebrations outside in the street in Manhattan. And the final um, picture, which is is so comforting, is that um, apparently she slipped away very peacefully. And the last thing she was listening to that day was the Letter to You album, which had given her a lot of comfort in those those final days. Um, yeah, and I remember reading that in Twitter about that story, mm. and I and I thought how beautiful and how touching that um, so many so many lives were touched by her and mm. um, you know I'm I'm often reminded Dan that um, my wife is very kind to me and and she always says that I I handled cancer like a boss like it was and I often say that you know it doesn't really feel like I had cancer like you know three years ago like yes there was surgery yes there was chemotherapy and everything but it just when I hear about what so many other people had gone through I'm like you know I don't I don't you know I I, I often do air quotes back when I had cancer you know right and you know, I've reminded my friends and family, like, no, 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 there is no air quotes. You had cancer, and we are grateful that you fought it. And mm. it is, I know this is a cliche, Dan, but it is such a horrible, horrible disease that takes so many people. And I'm sure with all the COVID things going on, too, it, it must have been a very scary time for her to try to, you know, be as safe as she can be and working on things. Um, I'm glad she was able to have friends and loved ones around her. Yes, we're 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 so grateful that she had very special friends um, looking after her. And you know, I guess she was in, in, in the hospice the last couple of weeks or something like that. And um, it was, um, but yeah, such a long battle as I was saying. It's like the, almost almost ten years, I think, uh, in all, and never an easy time for her. She had. She she was on, on her own looking after her, um, her her mother who was quite frail for a long time, and I don't think she had had any any family left uh, as such. So it was all down to friends supporting and um, yeah because she was you know kind of like I suppose self-employed, um, all the worries that come with that about about money and insurance and healthcare. Um, so no, extremely challenging. And but she was so, as I say, she was so strong-willed that we actually came to believe that, my goodness, if anybody can survive this, Holly can, because she just seemed like a, a real force of nature and uh, just a, an amazing example. I, I would definitely say she's one of the most inspiring people I've ever known. Um, do you know? Um... First off, any other stories that you want to share? Um, well, there's just one, one final um, sort of kind of little little summary, which uh, always uh, uh, sort of something that we found amusing. Um, so she was always uh, an Anglophile, very keen on uh, everything to do with British culture, especially um, 
from the 60s. She was a huge Beatles fan. Um, I think she probably would have, would have rated uh, the, the Beatles as her all-time favorite band uh, until she discovered Bruce. But uh, so she was passionate about about that. Um, and one of the things that really amused her, she was very often amused at that um, at um, um, the differences in, in in culture, and she would sort of put on a fake British accent when we talked and that and that sort of thing. <laughs> so uh, you should have heard her. One of her favourites was um, came from when she had first travelled on the London Underground, and they they have the announcement "Mind the Gap" uh, when the trains come in. So um, this, since she and I had always been separated by the width of the Atlantic, um, we had a gap. So she, this became our signing off phrase when we would finish letters or finish phone calls or just wave goodbye. Mind the gap, and so. Um, uh, I, th- I, as I say, most of, of, of the uh, the time since, well, the last 20 years, especially, she's uh, uh, or more, she's been, uh, as I say, she was my first ticket angel, and now uh, for me, she's a, a different kind of angel, um, and so I'm I'm thinking, okay, we're still minding the gap. Well that's, said, that's sir. Well I'm... said. Is there is there some sort of um, have we? Is there a fund um, where you can donate money in in her honor? Is was there any particular uh, charity for um, fighting cancer or obviously Bruce funds, which is you know our lovely friend Donna, if we yes. ever tour again, right, would be very much in the spirit of Holly. De- definitely. I mean, that would that I'm sure that would be so welcome. Um, the the only uh, information I have from her closest friends in New York is that um, we uh, because there is a memorial service coming up this um, this weekend, um, and they have mentioned that if in that respect, if anybody wants to memorialize her life, then donations to the Humane Society of New York. Would be um, extremely welcome because that is the uh, that's an organization which is like a sort of uh, uh, an animal rescue organization which was where she um, adopted um, uh, her cat Thaddeus um, in recent in very recent times. Um, so um, yeah, she was always an animal lover, and that's that's I'm not sure if that's her own personal wish, but that's certainly come from. Um, the friends closest to her there. Yeah, I, I'm looking. Um, it appears the um, there is the I will include a link. Humane Society, Society in, of New York. Yeah. dot org. Um, Humane Society NY. dot org. Um, and I will include a link. There is there where you can do an online uh, donation, and I'm sure you can put it in her name. That is. Definitely. Absolutely lovely. Um, mm. Very nice thought. Um, Thank you. Any final thoughts um, that you want to yeah. share? I love that she's um, still ma- she's managing the gap, right? Yep. She, we're always minding the gap, uh, you know, uh, always, you know. Um, no, I mean, I, I often think um, what, what we've talked about was really only very much the second half of um, – uh, the time that I knew her, like you know, the last 20 years or so. But um, I mean, she started off um, just having a 
just a normal girl um, mm-hmm. working in in finance uh, and um, uh, but I mean her um, the, the turning point was um, I think as I say which led to her sort of doing the um, the website for Stephen was that she began getting involved in media production and research, and that's what she did for um, most of her life later, her later life. And just that list of, um, of work is extraordinary. I mean, there's um, she was, as I say, an archival researcher. She was a social media consultant more recently. She wrote about books and music and photography and television, health. Um, she's got a profile on, on LinkedIn, which is a, has a wonderful summary, if I can just um, briefly read that, which is that uh, it says, uh, Holly Cara Price is a writer, stroke editor, and consultant for social media, audience development, niche marketing, public relations, arch- archival research and rights and clearances, in addition to talent relations and pre- and post-production. Clients have included Dr. Niha Sangwan, The Fresh 20, One Vila Naturals, Susie Tyrell, Jake Clemens, Ed Mannion, Little Stevens Underground Garage, Wicked Cool Records, Renegade Theatre, New York City, the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation, and Amanda Palmer. Um, and she doesn't even mention, you know, the, the, the years writing for, for Stevie. She's so modest uh, about that. Uh, and as a writer, I, I, I would have to say I, I think always think she had a brilliant and a really heartfelt style one of my favorite bloggers and there's another link um which i can give you which has has um thankfully has has archived some of her posts from from way back and it's uh, medium.com uh so medium.com forward slash at holly cara and um i'll I'll send you the link as well um there's a a few little little essays and blog pieces there yeah they're, yeah. they're wonderful they're really wonderful i would i would love that um Sure. That is that is absolutely beautiful, and I'll include a link to her LinkedIn page. You send me a link, I'll include a link to that. Sure. Um, Dan, this is uh, I just appreciate you so much sharing. Um, you know, she is someone who will definitely be missed, and someone that I think in a lot of ways um, is a shining example of what is wonderful about uh you know bruce fandom the bringing people together the connections the helping each other um not to make money off you know shows but to find i want everyone to get the show i want everyone to have a chance to see the magic of rock and roll and uh i i know she will be missed and i agree with you my friend you have a new angel watching over you that's so, so true, Jesse. You've said that so well. Um, and uh, as I've said to a few people in recent days, you know, if any, I mean, apart from just being an extraordinary human being, if any any fan deserved to be a, a legend, legendary name in East Street fandom, then I think Def, Holly is definitely one of them. And I'm hoping that, you know, the least we can do in her memory is to just let people know how special she was. Well, I, I will, I'm going to do my best to send this out and to get this going and keep it going. If someone wants to reach you, what, how's the best mm-hmm. way to do it? That's easy. Uh, I'm Dan French on Facebook uh, and on Twitter. I am uh, Wild and In. 
uh, they were back in the days when you couldn't really have a, a long handle, so yes, I couldn't I have w- wild, wild and innocent. I, that's as far as I got. So yes. I've always been wild and in ever since. <laughs> Very nice. Um, <laughs> Dan, you are a treasure, and um, I hope that one day we will get to uh, share a beverage together and share a hug. Um, I hope so. You are just you are very special to me, and I appreciate all the love and support you've given to me and this podcast. So thank you, my friend. We will thank end you. with, mm-hmm. "I'll see you in my dreams when all the summers have come to an end. I'll see you in my dreams. We'll meet and live and love again. I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah, up around the river bend, for death is not the end." And I'll see you in my dreams. I'll see you in my dreams. Presswell Holly, we love you. Thanks, Jesse. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.